So we say yes, so we say yes. Is anybody out there saying yes to God? Thank you, Lord. We bless you, Jesus. Glory to your holy name, God. You are amazing, astounding, perfect, complete, incomparable, glorious, detail-oriented, chronospecific, faithful, merciful, kind, righteous, all those things and more. And we bless you. We thank you we could be here, God. We thank you for the journey that you have us on in this particular season, that you would call us to serve you now in these days. And we bless you. Thank you for that, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, God. We ask that you continue to pour your spirit out, just like you invited us to uh, ask, and as you promised you would do. So we say pour your spirit out even this morning on us, God, as we focus on what you are doing, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Open your word to us, Jesus. Amen. Here we are. Again, just if you're new to this study, and we are coming into 11,000 downloads now, thank you. Um, there are technicals in the notes. Sometimes things are in different colors, or I make it large or small. It's simply mostly because this is an audio teaching. And again, because I write most of this out the morning of, there's typos and funky stuff and numerical crazies. And sometimes I go back and improve them, sometimes not. There was a, a brief historic background. We looked at this last week. It was this guy, J. Dwight Pentecost. Apparently, there was some faith in his family lineage to name the family Pentecost. Um, but it has to do with the 600s, uh, 605 BC. Now, Nebuchadnezzar led Babylon against Egypt in a certain battle, and those nations that are around Israel, which play a massive part in the whole plan of man from the very beginning, literally from Nimrod all the way to Babylon is falling in the book of Revelation, those nations play a massive role. And some of the arrogance, if you will, of the Western civilization in trying to either minimize or deny the importance of the uh, nation surrounding Israel, um, they, they, they forget that this is a biblical book, a Middle Eastern book written in a Middle Eastern culture with a Middle Eastern lens, with Middle Eastern good guys and bad guys, and it, infect, it infects and affects the whole world. So it has implications and ramifications around the entire world. But the book is, is focused where it is. And when you start, and we're going to see that even this morning, because the statue, Nebuchadnezzar's statue is referred to by many people as the mother of all prophecies. So there were obviously many prophecies prior and many subsequent. But as far as the storyline, what's happening, in a nutshell, God gave man a free will because man can't love without a free will. You can't love by command. You have to love out of free will. And so we, and we have seen over and over again the failure of free will. People, people not the failure of free will, the failure of a bad choice to hold a grudge, to hate, to, to, to break away from something that you've covenanted into. All those things are just, they, they're, at best they're weights, at worst they're fatal. They could be fatal. And so, again, I, I say it to the saints. And, you know, remember when Jesus said, uh, the, the prince of this world is coming, but he has no hold of me. He didn't have any sin handles. 
You know, we talk about love handles and we all have those these days. But he's saying he has no hold of me, he has no grip on me. You, you want to make sure that uh, unforgiveness or attitude or any kind of stuff like that, we, that wants to get nailed to the cross all the time. And so we go on with this. We looked at it last week. I'm not going to read the green stuff. Nebuchadnezzar in 600 BC and the Babylonian culture of sixes during a future session when we progress along King Nebuchadnezzar's journey of faith, I'm going to start getting into the sixes of Babylon. But just to give you a little tease, we got 360 degrees as being a full circle. We have sixes and twelves in our measurement systems here in America. There's, we have a 12-hour clock. We have, there's a lot that we have done that we've ascribed to a six and twelve system, which came out of Babylon. It doesn't mean it's all evil, by the way, and it doesn't mean if, uh, even if, you, if you're Hebraic numerical equivalent of your name is 666. You're not the Antichrist, so you can sleep well tonight knowing that, okay? I'm just saying, like, you don't want to worship signs, you don't want to worship symbols, you don't want to worship any of that stuff. We're called to worship Him. We're not to worship our ministries, our spouses, our whatever, our giftings, our callings, our anointings. And every one of those things, there were biblical examples of people who got radically hung up even worshiping things that were really, really good, but they blew it, and it'll cost them. We're living in a world that's shaking right now, and it's shaking all around us. So we're in a troublesome place, and we have to remember that every time someone is in trouble doesn't mean they did something wrong. If you look at the heroes of faith in the book of Hebrews, you'll see immediately there are people martyred for doing everything right. We have to be very careful that we don't become Job's comforters. When something's wrong with a person, a disease or a divorce or a brokenness or something, that we try to figure out where they went wrong. Sin came in at the garden because God had given Adam and Eve free will. And the liar came and they chose, they made a choice to listen to the liar and to override what God had told them. So that's really the story of the failure of man and the success of man is when God says it, he means it. But meanwhile, we're all, we, all su- we do suffer with one another. Actually, we called into it. Peter talks a lot about suffering. But Paul says it here in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 20. But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable on those we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that which lacks it, so that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. This is the body of Christ. First of all, it's the human body, obviously. He uses that as our model. But he's talking about the body of Christ. He's talking about the body of a family. He's talking about as a body of a church. And he's also talking about it, I believe, as the body of mankind. So when the world struggles, we're struggling. It's not just go get the bad guys, God, because if he wanted to, he could eliminate all the bad guys in one fell swoop. But there's a dynamic tension. I'm in an interesting dialogue with a delightful Jewish friend who I've known for 50 years, but he, he can't yet see what God's doing, and, and it's, it's just going on. It's like long emails and 
you know, biblical stuff. And I, that thing that I wrote, if you go onto the EC3728 site, you'll see I wrote something saying whether or not it is God, and it's W-E-A-T-H-E-R, because he had brought up the question, is God in the weather? Point to say is that we're in troubled times right now, and we're troubled with these people, but, and we're called to hurt with people. We're called to hurt, and we know our Lord takes no pleasure in the death even of the wicked. Everybody who's not saved isn't wicked. Some are, but he doesn't take any pleasure in it. It was never plan A that people would be destroyed. But what's critical in verse 26, and if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it, or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. This ought to be actually the banner over us when we're evangelizing, when we're praying for people. So we have to, you know, you know, there are scriptures that says the name of the wicked will rot. That's a truth. That will happen. But we're to be praying for the salvation of souls. And especially as we get into Daniel, we start really seeing some good guy, bad guy stuff. Really strong points, nations, faiths. A lot of it is extremely controversial. And it's, but still, we're to be praying for the people. Because God's called us to, to literally to be in this groaning process right now suffering along with the world. And we also know in Haggai 2, 6, and 7, when he says, I'm going to shake the world, I'm going to draw people to the desire of the nations, which is a nickname for Savior Jesus. If you're on that boat and God's dealing with those people and the boat's shaking, guess what? You're shaking. So our not being moved means you won't be moved out of the will of God. No one can move you out of that. But the will of God, like when we get to the furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say he can and he will deliver us from your hand. But he didn't say that he's not going to deliver us by martyrdom. They never say that. So we don't know what the will of God is for our lives, but we're invited to build a relationship and, a, and to understand God's perfect track record of success so that no matter what his will is for your life, it's good. It will be good for you. Beside the saints being members of the body of Christ, in Paul wrote in Corinthians, before that he was in Greece and he writes this. And remember, like the, the, the Greek philosophy, the mythology of Greece, of course, translated to Roman uh, mythologies and stuff like that. But listen to what Paul says here. This is biblical truth. He, meaning God, has made, this is Acts 17, 26, he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. So much for racism. You might identify people by what, by what they look like, but here's what do you do with this? One blood. Every nation meant to dwell on all the face of the earth. It goes on to explain his sovereignty within the context of, of what he has predestined, but his, his predestination in reality is that man would have a free will. And, in, and that's not one bowing to the other, but God's plan is that all men will get saved. We have to remember that. Some of the doctrines of extreme free will, like God's like just sort of like sweeping up behind our sin, that's not it. And just letting us run free course. Or the other one saying we're like hot dogs strung together by a string and he's just pulling us through life. They're both myopic. They're spiritually myopic. But the point of what God's doing on earth is so that they should seek the Lord in hope that they might grope for him and find him though he's not far from each one of us. That's wild. So the blessings in the place of obedience, there are kingdom principles that people put into their lives even though they're not submitted to the king and the principles might still work to a degree. 
and then people start writing philosophy books. Like you look about instant karma, and you look about reaping and sowing, you think, oh my goodness, there's some combinations here. It's not similarities, it's the fact that they have a piece of the picture that God has set in place. So what happens, though, is that the resurrection is assured to Daniel, this resurrection raising him from the dead. Resurrection is a massive story for us. Because Paul goes on and says, as you, especially as you get older, you start thinking, oh, there's people dying around me. When you see someone die, you think, oh, how old are they? Are they three years older, eight years older, ten years older, four years younger? You start realizing that we all have a date when we're going to leave this body behind. Expiration date. Excuse me? Expiration date. It's an expiration date. Your body has an expiration date. So look at what it says in Daniel 12. And by the way, throughout this study, we're going to be bouncing around into Daniel. I want this book to be familiar to you. I, I'm so comfortable in this book now. I so, I'm so delighted. I got to listen to the whole book again yesterday morning on a bike ride. I just love this book. And there's things that I don't have nailed. You know what I mean? I have, like, I have to really be real careful how I teach. I have to go back and study it again. The book is really amazing how it's laid out. So I have to keep doing it. I have to keep brushing up. But the book's amazing. So I want the book infused in you as much as possible so that when we get there, you say, oh, we read that. Oh, Daniel 9. We didn't cover it the third week, but we covered it several other times. We're gonna, again, we're looking at the man. We're looking at the story. We're looking at the plan of God. Daniel 12, at that time, which is the time of the end of the age, you can read 11 and confirm that and all the way to the end of 12. Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, over the Jewish people. This archangel is assigned over the Jewish people. So one question to ask as well is the Jew by blood, because Paul says they're not all Israel who are Israel, or is the ones who in these days sit down in the spirit at the Passover table and say, I'm Israel now, in which case he's looking over you too. So I'll leave that to you to prayerfully consider. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time, and at that time your people shall be delivered. The people of God get delivered at a time, implying not prior, not corporately, not 100%, but the people of God get delivered at that time. Everyone who's found written in the book, in the book of life, Everyone is, okay, everyone found written the book. Then broadening the prophecy, and many, and it means an abundant amount, has lots of different connotations toward many. It just doesn't mean like just a bunch, but it, and there's others who aren't going to raise up. He's, he's basically describing all people, but he's saying that this unbelievable amount of people, he says, and many, all of, all of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. The people of God are not going to be waking to everlasting contempt. They're going to be waking to reward. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. There is your evangelism uh, reward. This is you encouraging brethren, loving on the brethren, and wanting the, wanting the lost, leading them into prayer, leading them to salvation. 
those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. As you go down in chapter 12, you'll see he's told again, it's sealed, it's sealed, it's sealed. We have Jesus who's, who's saying the book's going to be opened. He says the one when the abomination is in the temple that causes the desolation of the presence of God, a temple that doesn't yet exist. He basically saying, read Daniel, you'll understand. There's things that are still mysteries now, but when those things happen in the near future, they won't be mysteries. So there's, it, you know, it's frustrating in a way because you want to know it all. Like you really, come on, man, I want to know, you know, tell me. And you think there's things we don't know, but we will know. But he's saying to him, you rest, Daniel, you're going to rise up then. But so the, the book is he talking about? Excuse me? Which book? Is the book of life. He's talking okay. the ones who are written okay. in the book of life. But here, he's also, I believe there's many books. I think I don't think we have the names of all the books. Some of them written, those who are written in the book, could be the book of life, it could be other books too, but people are written, they're written down. God has records, he has perfect records. So I don't believe someone is written in the book of life because the Bible talks about having names removed from the book of life. Again, this is a verse that will not give you the full story. The, whole, the full book will give you the full story. So God's saying, I believe, personally, that people are not born, they're born into a sinful world. I don't believe you're born guilty of sin because there's no accountability for an infant. I believe the ages around 12, 13, 14, going forward, those are the ages of accountability. The Jews bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah, the children, because they start understanding it's an age of accountability. I believe it varies person to person. I believe you're not doing your kid a service by letting them remain a baby their whole life. And that growing process is something that a parent has to learn. And the letting go, people talk about helicopter parents. You're not doing your kid a favor. The same time, just letting the kid run wild is not doing your kid a favor. You think, how do I know how to do it? You're on your knees. And you're praying and you're reading and God is teaching you and you have more than one kid, you know the same ingredients come up with different kids. So part of the identification of your kid is you identifying who your kid is. So we understand already that we have the shaking work going on on earth. It's more and more clear every single day. I was reading this morning about ISIS and the concerns that they're having for black flag ISIS in Syria right now. It plays right into the Daniel statue. This is new news today. If you want to read um, the Islamic Antichrist, is if you just get the book digitally and you just type in black flag, it's not roach spray. It has, to do with a, it has to do with a prophetic symbol of destruction which marks the calling that's upon these people and they know it. And it's a demonized spirit. And we're looking, and we're looking at these nations, we're looking at them where they are. A lot of the pictures that I sent you as far as imagery and the, and the notes that's on the easy3728website.com website, but there's maps showing overlays of nations, overlays of empires. Which nation overlaid which nation? Who was where and where they weren't? How in part Rome is disqualified from being the, the, a, the Antichrist comes out of a revived Roman Empire. It's bogus. I don't believe it. I don't think it, it can be supported by scripture. So here it is. I sent you the writing. Um, it's here. This is the first time you see it this morning. You'll see it over and over again. I want to go through chapter 2 in total today because there's a critical nature to 2. Of course, again, this is the mother of all prophecies, per son. 
and I don't necessarily disagree because as we go further into the book of Daniel, and even as we look in other places where we did our Ezekiel study, where we did, we've looked at Zephaniah, we've looked at uh, uh, Zechariah, we've looked at other, we, you, have, you keep referring back when the statue starts making sense to you, it literally blows away a lot of the smoke of theory. We left Daniel and his three godly friends in a good place. They had their faith and their Jewish foundation tested, and they requested a dietetic test. This is interesting. I believe they did this prayerfully, but they literally requested a, an unsafe, maybe demonized man to test them. You know, just be careful before you pick a demonized man to test you in anything. Make sure it's of God. Okay, don't necessarily say because it worked once. You know, I, I have a tendency to think that Matthias might have been the wrong call in the book of Acts when they, they cast lots and it fell to him. When Paul basically refers to himself as, in essence, the, the 12th apostle who came in late, we never hear a peep out of Matthias. And what they did, Peter, in his assumption, he, he looked at the scripture that said, let another man take his office. And he said, so therefore, let's do this. So he made an assumption to try to fulfill a word in the Old Testament. And we don't hear a peep out of Matthias. I, they, I don't never see them casting lots again. I never see them casting lots again in the New Testament. Now, if you're arguing with your brethren tonight as to where to go to dinner, and you say, let's, uh, you know, let's flip a coin, trust me, you're okay. You're not, <laughs> all right. I'm just saying from a spiritual, really, I mean, because we weird out. I mean, we invent games with game spinners. We're not leading the kids into destruction. They had said, they'd gone to this man, they said, remember, he, uh, God, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had given them a diet of like good food, good wine, good drink, good meats, all this stuff. It wasn't kosher. It was probably dedicated to demons. They dedicated, consecrated, they were very spiritual people. They dedicated things to demons. They did not want to eat food dedicated to demons. Paul tells us not to do that. We don't have kosher laws in the sense of the Old Testament, but someone says to you, this has been dedicated to a demon, don't eat it. You say, well, we're in 2023. Yeah, don't eat it. So they had said, please test your servants for 10 days. Let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. They, quite frankly, were under this man anyway. They were asking him a favor to deal with them later. He could have dealt with them right then and said, sorry, dudes. Now, meanwhile, the steward... So, so he consented in this matter. Earlier, he's actually presenting to us the murderous culture. And he said, if I do something that I'm told not to do, he says, I can lose my head. This culture, the culture that's anti-Christ is not simply against Christ. It's demonic and it's literally, it involves death and murder and destruction. And it's, it's horrific. And so all these people, there's a couple of little blips. If you listen to this thing 20 times, 30 times, you keep picking up on it where the guy runs in. We're going to see it today. He runs into Nebuchadnezzar. He says, I found a guy who can interpret the dream. He doesn't say Daniel says he can interpret it. He wanted credit. Every, I mean, the whole thing is just, you know, you, if you're in a corporate world, you see it every day. But people are lost and fearful, and there's a whole lot of, stuff going on right now on earth that are making people desperate. There's, there's horrible things going on in the economy that people are raising flags about and no one wants to hear. And so people are getting more and more desperate every day. It causes our light to shine brighter. 
not for us to succumb to this. So at the end of the days, in verse 18, okay, it was probably the three-year training period. Now, there are people who could say, well, look, this is inaccurate because in the second year of his reign, he has a dream, and this is the third year. year. How'd that work? Well, if you study history, you'll see that he was a co-regent with his dad. And so when this whole thing started, he was probably co-regent reigning, and then there were other, and there were three years, and then he starts reigning on his own when he had the dream. At the end of the days, okay, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. He was already called king by then, along, along with his dad. And the king interviewed them, and basically they had amazing knowledge and wisdom. And they had embraced the culture. This is interesting too. You could say, I'm not going to embrace your culture. These people were standing before the Lord. So, so far so good for Daniel and his friends. Seems like they survived things. Meanwhile, they were serving under the uh, head of the eunuchs, which you could write your own story there, but it makes you wonder. We never see Daniel getting married. We never hear of a lineage of people, of kids, of progeny. We, ne we never see that. They, they might have been taken there and castrated. But all things considered, here they are. So far, so good. And so what happens is, they found him ten times better, and Daniel continues all the way into the first year of King Cyrus. Now, the 70 years of captivity, I told you last week that you could look in Second Chronicles and you could read the last couple of chapters, and, and it's a sad uh, devolution, devolving of, of Israel and Judah. And over a period of really a hundred years, they were like, there, were, there was just horrible assaults, and we know all the way back to Gideon and the Midianites, when the people of God, the covenant people of God, sin and sin and sin and sin, and refuse correction and put before themselves uh, soothsayers or people who are just going to compliment them and pat them on the head, and they don't listen to God, things will get worse. Things are going to get worse because God is relentlessly righteous. So in Second Chronicles 36, reading quickly, and all of the articles, so this is Nebuchadnezzar, all of, so he comes in, he invades all of the articles of the house of God, great and small, the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his leaders, all these he took to Babylon. So that means this has already happened as we're reading the book of Daniel. And those who escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the king of Persia. They actually were there after that, but he's saying, but as far as Nebuchadnezzar, as Nebuchadnezzar has things going, all the time that he was there, they were his servants, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. In the Mosaic Covenant, God had very strictly told them about Sabbath, and they had blown it off and blown it off and blown it off. And it was something like 497, some crazy number, but it was, a, it was a mathematic of seven. Unlike the mathematic of six, it was a mathematic of seven. They were going to be there 70 years. And the Jeremiah prophecy that it talks about here, it says here by the mouth of Jeremiah, if you go to Jeremiah 25, this is what they're citing. Jeremiah saying that God had spoken to him, warrior God, Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, Jeremiah 25, behold, I'll send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. I am employing a demonized man as my servant 
to fulfill the word that I'd given to David and Solomon about correcting his people with the rod of man. And will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, against these nations all around, and against these nations all around. This is why there was constant battles between Egypt and, and, and the Babylonians. So there was a whole lot of things happening here. The bloodline of Israel comes out of the Chaldeans. I mean, there's all sorts of things happening at once. But this whole area is in this prophetic turmoil, he says, and against those nations all around, and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, a hissing, and a and perpetual desolation. So I believe he's talking about those nations. The Jewish people will never be utterly destroyed. There'll always be a remnant. Moreover, I'll take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. Then this whole land shall be a dissolution and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Mike Bickle says, God says what he means, it means what he says. So if you can't find something that seems to coordinate with something else in Scripture, it's simply because you haven't found it. The book testifies of itself, which is why it's funny. Like there are people who say, well, I focus on this or I focus on that. And, and as God might lead you, go. But at the same time, the book testifies of itself and you, you really, you really you want to eat the whole scroll. So chapter 2, Daniel, in its entirety, and then we'll go back and touch on it as much as we can. I, I'm actually going to touch on it once this morning. We'll never get through it a second time this morning. And again, for your convenience, here's the link. That's time two. It's a good written as well as pictorial foundation of understanding for you. It's really good. So in Daniel 2, we'll see in later weeks how perfectly accords with not only the visionary book of Daniel, the whole book, but the rest of all scripture. And this is the jeopardy of, you know, when someone gets saved and they, all they know is Jesus loves them, quite frankly, they know all they need to know. <laughs> the thief on the cross and the thief on the cross never got baptized. He's fine. But as the Lord would call you, and as he would bring you into relationship with him, you want to become embedded in the word of God, and you want the word of God embedded in you. So our ability to be here and study is a blessing, not simply an assignment, although it's given to us as an assignment. Now here we go again. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, this is chapter 2, we're actually starting it amazingly at 10.36 in the morning. In the second year of Nebuchadnezzar, it's probably his sovereign reign, not his earlier co-reigning with his father, Nebopolassar. Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. So these were not simply dreams. He was not having a good time in his dream. Right. He was rocked by his dream. We'd probably call it a nightmare in many ways. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. That could have taken weeks. I mean, they could have all been hanging out in the palace, or he could have been calling people from around the whole empire. And when you call, that's a big deal. I mean, you talk about getting called to the White House or the United Nations or to Parliament or the Kremlin. These guys were wearing their best. I mean, they were showered, shaved. I mean, they were, they were this is a high honor. And they come before him and they stand before the king and they, all they know is that they got called. And if, and if you weren't in the group that got called, you probably thought, bummer, I didn't make the cut. Well, that's until you find out what the, what the reason is for. And you think, boy, I'm really glad I didn't make this cut. 
Then the king gave the command to call them. And the king said to them, I've had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. So far, so good. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, which was the language of, the, of their empire. O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give the interpretation. That seems like a really fair ask. All of these guys were credentialed. So they'd gone through, you know, magician training. They'd gone to the University of Seeing, whatever it was, dream interpretation. They, they must have had a, some kind of track record of credibility. And notice how spiritual it is. This group are all spiritual people. There's this incredible spirit behind this culture. Incredible spirit awareness behind this culture. Tell your servants to dream and we'll give the interpretation. Clearly God had turned the heart of the king to demand the unimaginable. They were probably going on eBay selling their garments instantly on their phones, literally. Setting up the plan to provide Daniel because here's what's happening. Daniel is probably in there with them. He might well be there already because he thought they were wise or maybe not. We don't know. But here's what happens. Clearly, in fact, the more I think of it, I would say he probably might not have been there. So he was in a place of honor, but he might not have been elevated to that place. But God is raising this man up. There's a purpose here, which is very interesting. There's a man on Facebook named Peter Robertson. If you want to hunt him out or if you want to email me, I'll email me. I could try to do something to send you something that he wrote. Literally yesterday, I, wrote, I read something on Facebook and it had to do with had to do with the book of Daniel and people posturing themselves in these days to be Daniels in humility. So part of this is not just looking at this man of great honor, but understanding that God is raising up the army of, of Daniels in many ways. So God had set this thing up as impossible so that when Daniel responded in humility, and receives the revelation, it further validates the accomplishment of Daniel. This is not Daniel uh, validating Daniel. This is God setting Daniel up. Setting up the plan to provide Daniel. It's critical to the rest of the book, and it's critical to us. The culture prevails to this day. We, um, here we go, this is a note about this resurgence of black flags. But this culture of the region is a culture of spirit, spiritism. This guy has a dream. He calls these people in. He refuses to tell them to dream. It requires supernatural revelation. He's calling in all these supernatural people working in the supernatural realms, the unseen realms, and he's saying to them, I want you to tell me the dream I had. They're thinking, are you kidding? Then the Chaldean spoke to the king, oh, tell us, tell us the dream. We'll give you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, You'll get demoted? No. Here's the murderous culture. This is what we're dealing with then, and the worst days are ahead of us. You shall be cut in pieces. In your house you shall be made an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Is that unbelievable? Can you imagine standing there? Thinking, man, I'm so honored to be have been called into this group. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. 
If you do not make known the dream to me, there's only one decree for you, for you've agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Well, he doesn't really know that, but no one's trusting anybody in a culture of lies and demonism. That's the story of not being in the kingdom. I remember right after I got saved, it was maybe the first week, it was after the altar call at the end of the service. We pray like an hour, and you're just sitting around basking in the sweet presence of God, and all these people are walking around, and I'm thinking, man, no one's like jiving, no one's like got a bop to them. No. And these people, like, I was looking, thinking, I'm in a room full of real people. I started realizing that God called, the family of Christ is called to be real. And when we take on any kind of persona other than that, we're fooling ourselves. And this is what this is the this is the magnification of demonism right here. And he's and he sure I hate you guys. You're a bunch of liars and connivers, and you're and you've consulted together. They didn't. They we don't know that. But he's busy, and he's uh, he's accusing them. Tell me, the Chaldean answered, "There's not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter." First of all, how did they know? There's not a man on earth. Talk about pride. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such a thing of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. How do they know that? It is a difficult thing that the king requests. Yes, and there's no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. How do they know that? For this reason, the king was angry and very furious, and he gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Which then brings up the question, were they in the room then, or were they simply considered wise men and not invited into the room, but they were on the list. They were on the hit list. I would think they're not, because they always referred to them as the Chaldeans, and they weren't Chaldeans. No, they were not. But they weren't all Chaldeans in the room, either. Oh. They weren't all Chaldeans in the room. So, we can speculate. I mean, it's yeah. harmless to speculate, but we don't know. Many people have said it's wise to stay silent when the scriptures are silent. Mm -hmm. Or give it as your opinion. Give it as your opinion. That's safe. Give it as your opinion. Make sure it aligns with scripture, but give it as your opinion. There's going to be things happening in the future that we might think we understand, that we might have to make course corrections. There's something I had a very profound, like, like literally a night vision revelation from God. I'm absolutely sure it was God. And yet as I've and I've spoken it and proclaimed it and discussed it and taught it and I know where it came from. But as I read scripture and as things are progressing on earth, I'm also seeing something else which is a very popular more than theory and I believe that as well. And they don't contradict one another, but I know the Lord gave me the first one. But we just want to be careful and prayerful. So the decree went out and they started, I read someplace that there are theologians said, well, they were thinking of doing it. I said, it says they began killing them. What don't you understand? Well, these are like tests for us. If the scripture says something pretty clear, then believe it. So they're going out and they're killing. Then the, with counsel and wisdom, wisdom being the fear of God, Daniel answered, he went to, remember we used to use the word answered, meaning responding to the circumstance. We don't have a word in English that actually fits the word. Answer it to us means someone asked you a question and you answered that, or we responded to a verbal. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is it, remember this is the guy who went out to kill him. 
This guy's blood on his sword. Daniel comes up to him and says, why, first of all, it speaks about who Daniel is and his credibility and his access, but it also speaks about the, the boldness of this whole circumstance. Why is it the decree from the king so urgent? And Ariok made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Daniel went in and asked the king. Daniel had access to the king that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. Daniel was clearly the lead guy. Daniel had friends who he respected and honored. That they might seek mercies from God, from the God of heaven concerning the secret so that young Daniel and his young companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Daniel's first thought here was his own survival. It's a reality. He was clearly threatened, and that was clearly his primary motive. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So either it was a dream, he could have been fast asleep, he could have been on that little wake-up moment, it could have been as he, something happened, he was probably horizontal. In a night vision, the secret was revealed. Again, I say, sit, go, like you were saying, Brad, yes, last week about dreams. Ask God for dreams. Expect them. If you live 24-hour days like most of us and sleep six to eight hours, that means 25% to 33% of your life is spent in bed, usually with your eyes closed. Does God have an opportunity to speak to you without all the noise? Yes. Ask them. Expect. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, and first things first. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Remember, there's a sword waiting, and as opposed to running and, and thanking God on the run, which we often do because we're so time-consumed, Daniel answered, Daniel responded and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. He changes the times and seasons. You could remember this when you start looking at scripture about the Antichrist who will seek to change times and seasons because they're trying to hijack everything. Satan wants to hijack everything. He wants to hijack the rainbow. He wants to hijack everything. He's a stealer. He's not a creator. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever for wisdom and might are his. He changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things and knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with them. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me, I receive it in humility, but I receive it. It's on me now. I re you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. We corporately, he probably proclaimed this with his friends. He said, we need to pray right now. We need to pray right now. His friends said, will you please go tell the king so this whole thing could stop? They were, there might have been people losing their lives while he's praying this prayer. For you have made known to us the king's demand. Therefore Daniel went to Ariok, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Daniel knew it was from God. Then Ariok quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, Here is the murderous, proud culture. I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. 
I, I found him. Forget the fact that Daniel had gone before the king and asked for time. But I found him. I need some credit in this whole program. The, and again, with an anointing, I'm not saying this guy was anointed, I'm just, or an appointment, or, or an anointment, if you will, with something in your life. Be careful that you don't own it. Be so careful. That's when God will entrust you with more. If you just keep throwing your crown down. Then the king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, that was the name he had given him in that effort to take their culture away. That whole thing that it, it, literally it is an Islamic program to destroy culture, change name, tear down monuments, cause them to shift their language and everything about them. They are, they are a trampling, destructive force. It is demonic. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream which I've seen? And it's By the way, if someone changes their name, it doesn't mean they're demonized. Some people change for lots of reasons, so don't go off on that tangent. Daniel, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't mean it. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king has demanded, and they're probably all standing around. It's probably a court. It's probably all these guys still trying to deny the fact that they were had ever done anything supernatural. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers cannot declare it. You know, you sort of wonder, now I'm wondering, I'm thinking, wait a minute, were they fleeing for the hills? Were some of them laying dead already? Were people in hiding? Were some standing there thinking I'm the last on the list because the king likes me best? We don't know. We just know it was a horror story for the ones who thought they were the elite. The lead were going down. And he says, the magicians and the soothsayers, they cannot declare to the king, but there is a God in heaven. Now remember, because he asked for the dream first, if you, if you don't have the dream, the interpretation is massively suspect. I mean, it was really an amazing plumb line. It was a, the bar of credibility that had been established, I believe, by God turning the heart of Nebuchadnezzar into demanding the dream get revealed. There is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar. Even Daniel said, he didn't even, okay, he made it known through me, but it's for you. You are a special man in the history of the world. What will be in when? The latter days. That's that acharit yamim thing. That's a terminology that goes through all of the scripture. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. You want to think the king wasn't listening? He was bated breath. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. So it wasn't just about you, but it was after. This is a story all the way to the conclusion of the age. You're, there was something stirring in you, and it freaked you out, and you were wondering about what would, what would happen after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, the secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes, who make known the interpretation to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. It's for our sakes, too. So we don't get deluded. We don't get discouraged. When things heat up, we don't sit there thinking, where's God? Doesn't he know? Can't he do? Isn't it time? You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, so there's something beautiful and glorious about it, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This is the Hebrew word, yar. Or if this is written in Aramaic, I told you this book shifts into Aramaic. 
If it was not the word yar in Hebrew, it would have been the word yar. But the word awesome to this culture is frightful, terrible, dreadful, fear-invoking. There were old, old Bible commentators who will say things like, our awful God. Like if someone said to you, how is that hot dog? And you go, awful, it's a throwaway. Them, awful meant full of awe. It was, it was like terrorizing. So here's this king who's sovereign over everything, who basically says off with their head or let's kill that nation or let's do something. And he, had all, he was completely sovereign at this point. His dad was dead. He's reigning in this, the empire of the world at the time. And he is, his knees are knocking. It was awesome, meaning it was freaking you out. This whole story starts with this guy having a dream that was freaking him out. And then he tell, now, and already he's going, oh man, is he, this is the dream. He knows the dream. And he even knows how I was during the dream. The image his head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And he's going, oh my goodness, this is, this is my dream. This guy's nailing it. This guy's nailing it. Somebody told him something. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands. So if the dream wasn't supernatural enough, he's saying something supernatural-er is occurring, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay, which we will see later is within the time frame of the feet of iron and clay especially, and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, and all the above ingredients, the bronze, the silver, and the gold, were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. No trace was found. This terrorizing image of demonism, no trace would be found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. That would be our king. Not a trace, chaff, like dust, like blowaways. Okay, so the king's looking at Daniel. I'm sure he has his full attention. Whoever else is in the room is thinking, oh, wow. Oh, wow. This is a dream. Now we will tell you the interpretation of it before the... Now we will tell... We. He's still bringing his friends in. I love this guy. Talk about an amazing man. Now we, not I. And there's going to be a book written and it's going to have my name on it. It's not who he was. This is why God kept seeing him as being a suitable to impart greater wisdom and greater revelation. I love this man. Now we, we will tell the interpretation of before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings. Meaning, you're a king over kings. You know, we sing king of kings and lord of lords. That's about our God. He is king over every king. But he was a king over kings. They would take other nations and other tribes, and they would call the people kings sometimes, or the tribes, and he dominated over them. You're a king of kings. But he's saying, why? For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. Now, what's important is the journey of Nebuchadnezzar, which is another story in the book of Daniel. You're going to see next, I, next chapter, it's, it's basically the story of the silly statue. It's the Plain of Dura statue that is absolutely ludicrous, although it cost people their lives, sadly, because it was demonic. But the, but the reality is, and then we get later to his parking lot experience, his divine parking lot, when there's, uh, when there's writing on the wall, well, that was writing on the walls of Belshazzar, but when he has another dream, and now Daniel with credibility is brought before him, and Daniel basically says, change your ways. 
and he's still pounding his chest, thinking, great me. He refused to learn, so God kept escalating his appearances to King Nebuchadnezzar. This is the first one that we know about. And here, Daniel's saying to him, dude, O king, O dude, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. It's all about him. And wherever, now this is hyperbolic Middle Eastern writing, so we know if there were cultures in South America or someplace else, they weren't under Nebuchadnezzar right there. But there's actually different words in the Aramaic and Hebrew that have to do with whole earth or cosmos. Sometimes they use the word cosmos to mean the universe, but also the entire world. If you go back into the word studies, you'll see you can differentiate. You're able to differentiate. He says, for the king of heaven has given you a kingdom of power, strength, and glory, and wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand, and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. Now, one thing that's interesting, not in the day in his timely reign while he was in the flesh, but this story applies to the whole world. It actually has a prophetic connotation to every inch of the entire world. The entire globe is contexted here. So this is a great image. I borrowed it from the internet. I don't know where it came from, but there's lots of images of this image. And this is the great image in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. It was beautiful, glorious, awesome, and frightening. There was a spirit behind the vision. He was freaking out. And you'll see this is the dream, the great image that God revealed in a dream. It was interpreted by Daniel. The head represented a rule of one. Something, our, our pastor used to say, anything with two heads is a freak. At the same time, if you're in a partnership with someone, you'll, you will see there will be a dynamic tension that requires a, really a supernatural grace to be upon it because there are times when God sets us up as partnerships. We have to be careful, prayerful, which is why in Corinthians it says, do not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever, especially that. But even with believers, we have to be careful to know this is God. There's amazing partnerships in Scripture, but really the most effective government is one person. What you want is a perfect, benevolent ruler, absolutely 100% sovereign. Nebuchadnezzar was imperfect, but he was a sovereign ruler. He didn't have to. He didn't. He didn't have to campaign for re-election. None of that stuff. He didn't. He could ask opinion, but then do what he wanted. But anything other than that's why the house is set up for the man to be the head. Woe unto the man who leads his house poorly. But at the same time, there's a structure that's set in place, and God invites all of us into it. And every one of us is accountable to walk in what God's called us to walk in. It's most efficient. So he has the head, and then he says, after that, there's. Silver, there's a chest and the arms. It talks about two things, and, and even the picture here, we don't know that they're folded like that in the vision, but it, it makes sense. And then there's a bronze, there's a belly and thighs, and there's legs, and then it goes down to iron and clay, the feet and toes. And so this is the description of the statue. Then he's going to give him the, the explanations here. This is the dream. Now we'll tell you. So he's in the explanation stage right now. He has given them into your hands. He has made you ruler. You are the head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom. So your kingdom will end. It doesn't necessarily end with him. 
and there's a storyline that has to do with Belshazzar and what happens to, uh, the, during the writing on the wall. I think that's chapter 5 of Daniel. But you'll see, after you shall arise another kingdom, inferior to yours. He's saying, then another, a third kingdom, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth, this whole Middle Eastern earth, if you will. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, Inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in piece, pieces and crush all the others, which immediately becomes a disqualifier, by the way, for the Roman Empire. Because that's exactly not what they did, nor did they overlay the kingdoms before them. But we'll move on, though. The feet and toes, several verses to spend on this portion. If you look at them, 41, 42, 43... Uh, there's a whole lot going on here. So God is not just saying in the feet like help him stand on the ground or connect, but some people think, well, in a, in a way it's sort of a fifth kingdom. It's a, it's a fifth that came out of the fourth. So, But he's naming four. Daniel names four specifically. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the, saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. And as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. So there's all sorts of things here. Man was made out of the clay. There's this anointing from heaven on leaderships. There's this dynamic tension of parts not working together quite well. But we see this thing, and we are watching in many ways the devolution or the, you know, the, the devolving of society, the degradation right now. We're seeing, we see, quite frankly, uh, in America, where this has been an experiment in, de in democracy, which proves it doesn't work. It sounds good. We want everybody to have an opinion, every man, one man, one vote. But it's, it's not according to plan. I believe God allowed it and even blessed it and even breathed upon it and continues to breathe upon it. But at the same time, the whole story of allowing man to make that choice in a governmental thing is, look where we're going. Freedom of speech. Look where we're going in our rules. Look where we're going in our laws. And now we have things that are, it's unbelievable. We're seeing the, the madness of totalitarianism because people think more legislation will solve everything. And we have people telling you, you can't have house fans. You can't have this. You can't have that anymore. And they want to limit you to two beers a week. I mean, it's insanity. It's going crazier. It's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. Telling you what you need to be doing for the sake of society and penalizing people if they refuse to do it when it really ha are things that ought to be free choice. So we're going to see this spirit of control, totalitarianism, coming upon the whole world. There's things happening in Canada that are unbelievable. A woman took a photograph of the first chapter of Romans and posted it, and they're, and they're, they're trying to put her in prison for a hate crime. It's totalitarianism. It's the spirit of control. And the days of these kings, the God of heaven, verse 44, the, the, the rock made without hands, if you will, represented there as the God of heaven, will set up a kingdom in the days of these kings, not simply at the end. He's been setting it up all the way through this whole time frame. All of this has been happening right now. I mean, Daniel's there. He's setting it up even through Daniel. 
He's setting it up all the way through the intertestamental period and the closure of the, New of the Old Testament, the intertestamental period. He sends Jesus at the right time. Daniel in chapter 9 gets a 70-week prophecy about, about uh, the birth of Christ. He's saying God's already setting it up. It's already in place. He already called Abraham way before this. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these other kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. It's sort of a warning label for us, too. Don't try to negotiate. Don't try to ignore. Don't try to modernize. This is for sure. This is standing firm. In many ways, mess with it at your own peril. The king Then King Nebuchadnezzar, who is absolutely sovereign, the pure golden head, standing there in pride, feeling pretty good about himself, fell on his face, prostrate, before Daniel and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, truly, your God is the God. Of now he makes this proclamation a few more times along his journey, but he says it the first time here. Truly, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon. And Daniel accepted all of it understanding who was part of the plan of God. And chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon who would hate Daniel, even though he saved their lives. Were it not for Daniel, they would have been dead. They would not have been alive to hate Daniel. But there's jealousy, it comes with, it comes with the demonic presence. And chief administrator of all the wise men of Babylon. Also, Daniel petitioned the king and remembered his friends on the way up. And he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, which is like the main place. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. This guy got elevated. He wasn't looking for elevation. wasn't looking for promotion. Most of the prophetic controversy pertains to the matter of the legs and feet, which kingdom will be in place during the time that the supernatural stone takes the whole statue down, forever destroying the arrogant plans of man. We are living, if someone asks me where we're living right now, I'd say we're living in the feet. Could even be in the toes. I don't know exactly where. I'm not trying to sit there and anatomically put a marker on the human body of the statue or the, the body of the statue. But we're way down there already. We know a lot of those nations, a lot of those empires are gone already. Although there's vestiges of them. There's vestiges of the culture of Babylon in our 60s and 360s, the, the Greeks and the Rome, and even the Romans, even though I don't believe they're in here. But all the, there's like lots of empires. And we are being impacted by the culture to a lot of things good. I mean, a lot of things came out that we learned from these cultures. But we're down at the feet now because we have this madness. We have the madness in the governments. And I believe what we're going to see as we go on here, that we're going to see some of the madness of this fourth kingdom too. And I don't think we're going to finish this morning too bad. But of course, Robin's not here this morning, so we could actually go on for hours and hours. But we won't. Let's go forward. Yeah. Okay. So. She might listen to this. 
Yeah, so that's right. <laughs> At which time the king, okay, the kingdom of God's going to reign forever. We know that. And remember, this promise starts in Genesis when God cursed Satan. He gave a promise to mankind. He says, I will put God, I will put a dynamic tension, an enemy, if you will, enmity, but I will put, a, I will put a, uh, an enemy tension between you, Satan, and mankind. And between you, your seed and her seed. And we always think that's pretty ironic because women don't have a seed. It, it, you can look at it and say it implies even a virgin birth. But it says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And he's talking to the seed there. He shall bruise your head and, he sh and you shall bruise his heel. He meaning you're, dead, you're a dead man, but meanwhile you're going to inflict pain on the seed of the woman. And we're in that now. So because God has done much in the Western world, including the printing of the Word of God by Gutenberg, the general, he, he invented a printing press so he could print the Bible. Hello, thank you. And the general embrace Christianity throughout the ages going forward, the church, for the most part, has assumed the issue about Rome and the Roman Empire. First of all, they don't differentiate between the Roman Catholic Church and the Roman Empire. Don't pick on the Roman Catholic Church here. It was a church that was in Rome. It has its issues just like the Protestant Church has its issues. There's people who, there's been astounding things. God has done astounding things through all the people who have professed the name of Christ. There's been baggage, there's been nonsense, there's been folklore put into the Protestant Church. And there's been that same in the Catholic Church. No one is going to stand before God and say, this is the church I went to. It's going to be, do you know Jesus? Are you surrendered to Jesus? And when someone tells you theirs is the only church, that's a warning flag. doesn't matter what denomination you are. It does not matter. What matters is do you know Jesus? Are they preaching a gospel of Jesus? So they assume that the Roman Empire will lead the charge against Israel because we do see that going forward in Daniel and other places. But it's not, it won't fit together with the context of all scripture. Back to Daniel, the chapter pertains to what the empires prophetically represented in chapter 2. And I'm going to skip to Daniel 7 for a few minutes here. The fourth beast of chapter 7, in essence, is the, is the lower part of the body, is the feet of the Daniel statue, the Nebuchadnezzar statue. Look what he says. Daniel has his own revelation in Daniel 7. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, the fourth beast. And this, if you want to say, well, it's, going to, it's a stretch to take a statue and tie it to the Daniel 7 prophecy, bear with me. Over the course of time, you're going to see that there's an amazing alignment. How God shows you these things from different viewpoints and different perspectives is amazing. How he even establishes the time frame, time frame from creation to the conclusion of the age to the days of, of Nebuchadnezzar to the conclusion of the age are absolutely amazing. Daniel was seeing things in Daniel 7. After this, I saw in the night vision, since behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It had a spirit of destruction. It did not have a spirit of capping a culture with their culture over it. It was a destructive spirit, this fourth beast. It was different from all the beasts which were before it, and it had ten horns. It was different. It was not similar. It was not just another geopolitical empire with a military force. It was, had, and it had ten horns. And then in Daniel t chapter, verse 21, 
going down. I was watching and the same horn, one, a little horn, which he talks about in Daniel 7, was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. He's talking about the conclusion of the age. So that means that the statue, in essence, is still standing. The supernatural rock has not come and taken it out until the Ancient of Days came. Oh, it sounds like maybe something's happening with that rock. The Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom, which is exactly what we read pertaining to the rock taking out the entire statue and the chaff. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth. And these are some of the characteristics of the fourth kingdom. Which shall be different from all, all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. The Roman Empire fails to test of these descriptives. The Roman Empire in its power and might and sophistication for warfare was very much like the Mede-Persian Empire, the Greek Empire. It was not that different and not different enough to warrant being called out as different, which we will see because the images were all different. The, the body parts are different. The, the creatures in Daniel 7 were different. The huge difference in considering Islam, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm saying it here and I've said it before, as both the fourth beast of Daniel, which we're going to get into, as well as the, what's happening in the feet and legs, is that the prior prophesied empires are all geopolitical. Islam is different in that it's a religious empire. It's based on religion. And their crushing work is a crushing of faiths and cultures and everything else. They, they've destroyed thousand-year-old statues of Buddha. They're into destruction. It's based on violence, destruction, and demonism. Jihad means holy war. Islam means submission. It's not simply submission to Muhammad. It's submission. They cause people to submit. They call their women to submit. They call their children. They are still cutting off arms and legs. They're still cutting off noses and ears of people. It's all about destruction. For the most part, when Rome conquered a nation, the nation retained language, culture, history, and religion. History shows, you could just go into history, that when they would come in, Mohammedism, which is what it was called, they killed, they destroyed, they erased culture, they forced conversion, or they imparted more death. They changed the language. The roots of Babylon already had the names changed for Daniel and his friends. They were into a culture of changing and destroying and taking down. It was convert or die. It's why the Crusades were wrong. They, were, they came in saying, convert to Christianity or die. That was wrong. That's <clears throat> madness. That was demonism. They literally had gotten infected with demonism. The Inquisition was demonism. You don't pour hot oil into the ears of the Protestants because they don't agree with you. What ha what's happened in, in uh, Ireland with the, you know, with the, with the different sects? You know, the Protestants have done the same thing to the Catholics. That's demonism. It doesn't represent our God. It's not how he works. Rome never devoured the whole earth, even the hyperbolic Middle Eastern version of the whole earth. Rome barely extended into the Middle East. They extended into Israel for a season, but they barely extended. And, and there are some maps that I think we have going. No, do I have them in here? I don't have them in here, but they're in that article. Look at them. Look at the overlays of where, where these nations laid, overlaid one another time and time and time again. And look where Rome was. It never happened. They were never there fulfilling the image and the prophetic picture here. 
It was not that different than the other ones to warrant looking at it. They never conquered uh, the nations. Rome was barely extended into the Middle East. The Roman Empire was clearly two components, but the two-leg comparison to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, it falls down because the eastern leg of the Roman Empire survived about a thousand years longer than the western leg. Meanwhile, we have Sunnis and Shiites. We have a massive conflict within the place of Islam. We're told prophetically, Hagar is told, that the ones that will come out of her seed will be battling to the end and the conclusive storyline of the destruction of what's happening when they come into Armageddon is that the enemy nations are destroying each other, fighting each other to the death in the middle of attacking Israel. The only thing they had in common was they hated Israel. Jeffrey King, a theologian and historian, says in AD 364, the Roman Empire split in two. AD 364. That's 330-some-odd years after Jesus. There was the Eastern Empire with its capital in Constantinople and the Western Empire with its capital in Rome. If you want to make two parts of the Roman Empire to be represented by the two legs, you're in difficulty because the Western Empire lasted only a few hundred years. The Eastern Empire lasted until 1453. You have to make this image stand on one leg for most of the time. Don't blame Rome and don't ascribe it to Rome. Because at best, it's a distraction. And you could say, well, what does it matter? I just keep my eyes on Jesus. The bottom line is, yeah, just keep your eyes on Jesus. But we want to understand what's happening on earth because we understand the timing that we're in. We want to understand so that we can point others to the accuracy and the inerrancy of the word of God. We want to point people to the fact that what God says is true and accurate. You've seen that picture. I'll probably show it again during the course of these teachings. You know, Daniel standing up at, at home plate with a bat, mm -hmm. basically saying that the man batted a thousand. I believe much of chapter 10 and 11 in, in Daniel is a confirmation of history where it's so frighteningly accurate, who would be foolish enough to question the man's accuracy going forward on the things that we're still waiting for? The Eastern Empire lasted until 1453. What happened then? It was overrun by the Muslims, by Islam. Meanwhile, Islam overlaid the prior empire, which overlaid the prior empire, which had overlaid the Babylonian Empire. And Islam devours and destroys, subjugates women and children as well as cultures. And we have the earlier teaching on Ezekiel from several months ago that coordinates with this, where Ezekiel talks about who's coming in and naming the nations. And, and then we went back to Numbers, 24-7, you could look into that study, into the Ezekiel study. Uh, it's all on our podcast. And, and we talk about Gog as being the Antichrist. He's identified as the Antichrist. It's clear. It's frighteningly clear. For many years, when I would read that scripture in Ezekiel 38, I think it's 38-17, aren't you the one I spoke about by the former prophets? Yeah, the former prophets were Prophet Moses and Prophet Balaam. It's exactly who it is. The word's accurate. God is going after all people, not willing that any perish. We have to remember that. When you see someone in a burqa, you see someone with a turban on their head, you see someone with full face tattoos and that have that foul language on it and he wants to destroy the world and he doesn't think he has an ounce of spiritualism in him, he's demonized. Who knows if that man's not going to be serving God, if you'll pray. We need to understand who's in charge here. So we're to pray for all people. Many Muslims are coming to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Many Buddhists, many Hindus, many materialists and humanists and philosophers and hedonists. And remember, you came. 
If, anybody, if you got saved, anybody could get saved. And if you've stayed saved, anybody could stay saved. Reminder, we're not meeting next Saturday. Thank you, God. Sovereign, holy, spectacular, exciting, challenging, merciful God. Bless your holy name. Thank you for this book. Thank you for Gutenberg. Thank you for Olive Tree Bible Software. Thank you for everything in between. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you will indwell us as we make room for you. We want to make room for you, Holy Spirit, that you would overwhelm us, God. You would, oh, with a revelation, with conviction as necessary, with encouragement, with resources, with everything that you have equipped us for, God, so we could be ready for these purposes, that we could do the great exploits that we could win souls, that we could warn every man, that we could contribute to your glory in our brief time on earth, God. And again, if this is the gospel according to me, it would be deleted. But God, this sure looks like it's your gospel, Lord, because this is your book. And we say amen to that book, God, and we're going to unmute our mics, God, so with a, with a hearty note of agreement, we say, God, you're amazing, and your word is true, and let it be, Lord. And we, your saint said amen. Does anybody out there saying yes to God?